we're journeying through the 17th chapter, actually the entire Gospel of John, we've been in the 17th chapter for three Sundays. We could and probably should be here for a year or all of our lives. Steve Lassie knows we could easily be. (laughs) One of the great chapters of all of Scripture, the High Priestly Prayer. But we'll be reading this morning from verse 20 to the end of the chapter. Give attention to this, the reading and the hearing of God's great word. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, even as you Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected. In unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me from before the foundation of the world. O Holy Father, Although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, we have been looking together at this 17th chapter, the High Priestly Prayer, what some have called the real Lord's Prayer, and the other that we prayed together earlier, the model prayer. This is the prayer that We overhear Jesus' own personal petitions and intercessions before the Father. And he prays for four things for us. We have been looking at that. He prays for truth, that we might have a bedrock set of principles on which to build our life. He prays for purity, for holiness, that we might have lives which are full of integrity and moral beauty. He prays for mission, that our lives being touched by Christ might be sent by Christ, that we might have a purpose for our life, which is bigger than ourselves. And we add to those three petitions what is at the heart of the verses we heard this morning. He prays for his disciples, he prays for his people, he prays for the church. Love, unity, that we might be one. These four petitions are not separate petitions. They are intertwined. They belong together. They interpenetrate. So he is saying that without community, 
Without love together, without others, there is no experienced truth or lived holiness or reason for mission. They belong together. Now, the first thing I see in this passage that I think is in this passage about love, I've already mentioned, there is no real community possible outside of God's own love. In our sin and our individuality, we have chosen our own way. We have chosen our rebellion. We have chosen loneliness. And until you realize that, until we realize our sin and our need, there's no real possibility for community, for love. But in Christ, the text reads, there's such a possibility for incredible love that the world will be pulled up short before it. It will amaze the world. Listen to verse 3. Father, I pray that they might be one even as we are one, that the world might know that you sent me. I don't know why I'm regularly surprised by this. I am, I shouldn't be. But there is a kind of built-in, there's a worldly, there's a natural bias against Christianity, against its claims. Whenever a worldview stands before you and says, I am going to make absolute claims on your life, when Jesus says, I am Lord and Savior, and the purpose and goal of your life is to follow me, then uh, the response to that is, well, that's interesting. Let's sit down together and kick it around for a while. Uh, there's a natural resistance. There's a natural hesitation to that. And Jesus is saying here, on the basis of the love that I'm calling to you, on the basis of the love that I, I expect to be lived out amongst you, and on the basis of the love which is meant to be visible in your community, that all of the intellectual arguments, all of the cautions of skeptics will be knocked flat. He says, if my people are one, the way I can make them one, nobody is going to have any meaningful arguments against my deity or my incarnation or my message. Jesus Christ says the love of the church is to be irrefutably visible. And that visibility of the love of Christ has several distinguishing marks. It's costly. In Acts 4, we saw that the early church won the world because of the way they lived. They pooled resources where there were needs that one had for another. They sold property. They cared for one another. The world knows if you are generous. The world knows what you do with your stuff. The world knows what you do with your energy, your time, and your schedule. They can tell if you put yourself out, and Christian love costs. The character of Christian love that Jesus is talking about in this chapter also brings a unity out of diversity. It calls unusual people together. Uh, Christian love is formed around a center. We come close to the center which is Christ, the center which is truth. And we look to our left and right and we see brothers and sisters called there not because, frankly, of similar interests, of economic status or privilege, of jobs. We're called there because of the center which is Christ. 
and we find ourselves convinced of the same truth, that apart from Christ, the world is on a short plank, but that in Christ, love is real, love is deep. And looking to our right and left, we are called together with a family of brothers and sisters. I was raised in a particularly close nuclear family. Uh, We remain close to this day, but my brother has never made a decision for Jesus Christ. It has never been meaningful to him or for him. And so without apology, I say, although I have special responsibilities towards, I have special affinities with my earthly brother, I am closer to my brothers and sisters in this church, in these pews, everywhere than my natural brother. Uh, Christian love creates family. It creates community out of diversity. That's why I'm proud that this church is so committed to being intergenerational and intercultural because we believe that kind of community and that kind of church most deeply and most fully reflects the love that Christ builds. Thirdly, Christian love is forgiving. It regenerates itself. And Christ, uh, we prayed that today, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If, uh, if in the community of the church we can't forgive, we can't regenerate love where it has been damaged, and has been broken, the world has the right to say, you're no different than we are. Here's Christian love. It is costly. It is forgiving. It is diverse. It is impartial. Christian love, according to chapter 17, is from beyond the world. It is from outside of the world. And two sermons ago, we focused on that. Here is love that from before the foundation of the world, Before the Holy Father created anything, before he created the angels or you and me, he was an eternal, reciprocal love, Father and Son and Spirit in a dance of love. And here's the astonishing claim. In Christ, we have been invited to share and to live in and to experience that love. I went back to the great commandment. You are to love the Lord your God. Here's here's the summary of all of the law. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, your strength. And the second commandment, I noticed this time reading through, Jesus said, it's like unto it. He doesn't say is dissolved into it. He didn't say is identical with it. He said, you are the Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. And the second commandment is like unto it. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. Two great loves tied together but not dissolved. So churches make two kinds of mistakes. Some variety of churches devolve love of God into love of neighbor. And we expend ourselves in service identifying the two. Some churches love God's word, try to sanctify God's person and are cold and unloving together. God ties the two together, but never confuses the two. I found a wonderful verse in Hebrews. I believe it is chapter 6, verse 10. 
God will not forget your work, your love for one another, your service, your good deeds. God will not forget your work and the love which you showed for his holy name in serving the saints. There the logic of the great commandment is connected. We love one another for his holy name. They're not identical, but they are tied together. Christ unites worship and witness. He unites hallowing God's name and helping God's people. He unites savoring God's glory and serving God's saints. We're gathering around a table that impels us to do that, which reminds us of doing that, which gives us the energy for doing that, which gives us the picture which doing that is all about. We are not able to love completely until we are convinced and have experienced that we are loved completely. Look at the very top, verse 23. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Two words in that text I think are stunning. Even as. They call us to the amazing truth that we are called to love the Father as the Son loves the Father and to recognize we are loved by the Father even as He loves the Son. Even as. Even as if it penetrates into us means the end of loneliness. Even as means the end of self-preoccupation. Even as means the end of feeling that we've been abandoned or left alone. Even as tells us we are loved completely and we can love with that great a love ourselves. My uncle Claude was a chairman of the English Department of San Diego State University. He was a Robert Browning scholar. Um, I don't think I've ever shared in a sermon before Elizabeth Barrett Browning's great love song to Robert Browning, edited just the beginning and the end. You recognize it. But it is, uh, even though it's speaking of a romantic love, it is in Christ. They were both Christians, and I think it is a proper framing of coming around this table this morning. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height of all my life. I love thee with my breath, my smiles, my tears of all my life. And if God but grant, I will love thee even better after death. In uh, 1993, a new museum was opened in my hometown of Washington, D.C. It's the Holocaust Museum. And it is a grim reminder of what people can do to others that we would never, ever forget. Uh, I think we are living in a time in which Christians, 
in many regions of this country are experiencing a kind of Holocaust, but we are gathering around the table in which Christ is saying, I experienced a Holocaust for you. So we gather around this, ready to remind ourselves that we are loved with that kind of love and that we are called and impelled to create that kind of love because of it. We gather around to rehearse that and to be sent forth to live it as we gather. Are you ready to begin?